Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello to all you wonderful wine lovers of the world. On today's episode, I'm taking us over to the northeast of Italy, to a wine region called Friuli Venezia Giulia, where I am talking to Laura Feluga of quite possibly the best known Friulian winery in the world. They are certainly one of the most important producers in defining the quality of the wines that have come out of this area. And so Laura is going to be taking us back to the beginning of it all with her grandfather, Livio Feluga. If you are not too familiar with this area, the region, the terroir, the climate, Laura will be romantically and poetically describing it all. So you're going to hear the passion and the love she has for her family winery and this part of the world. Now, for all of you listening, I just want to take one second out to say how grateful I am for your support. And if you are enjoying these podcasts, now is the opportunity that you can support me just that little bit more by voting for this podcast on the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Now, I'm going to leave a link on my show notes, but if you can take a few moments out, just go to www.podcastawards.com. You're going to be asked to verify your email with your email being deleted after the awards are announced. You have the choice to enter your biggest podcast influencer. Of course, you can choose Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat at this point, should you wish. But then there are loads of different categories. So you can also vote for your favorite comedy podcast or or fiction podcast. I am in the arts category. So just find Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat and click Save Nomination done. Uh, Voting is just for July 2022 only. So if you are getting any value out of these podcasts and you're enjoying listening, I'll be very grateful that you can vote and maybe, just maybe, I can make the slate which determines who takes home the win. Now, thank you all in advance for those of you that can do that. And now back to this exceptionally educational episode with Laura Feluga. Laura, thank you so much for joining me. I would love for you to start by actually just telling me where were you before? What's your backstory quickly? Thank you, Janina. It's um, it's lovely to be with you and um, it's a privilege. My story is related to wine because I was born uh, as the granddaughter of this very strong and brave man who gives his name to our winery, Livio Feluga, was my granddad. You just didn't have a choice. (laughs) Exactly. I didn't have a choice. So I was born with wine. And then I grew up, you know, in Friuli Venezia Giulia. That is Mm -hmm. the region in the northeast of Italy Mm -hmm. where the winery is based. Uh, Always, you know, living in a small town close to the vineyard, which is called Udine. And, uh, you know, my dad would be working for the winery and we would visit my grandparents very often. So the vineyard was always part of my was part of my my upbringing and uh, and you know my childhood memories I would spend plenty of time with, with my grandparents uh, over the hills and then when I grew up after you know graduating for my first uh, university degrees where I studied economics and management in Trieste 
and that mm-hmm. is the capital of the region, a beautiful town on the Gulf of Trieste and the Adriatic Sea. Um, I decided to leave and um, I wrote my thesis on wine simply because I had a feeling that wine was part of my identity and I didn't know enough about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you, you reach a point in your life when you're, you know, asking yourself, what am I going to do? And so you start from from the roots and that's what I did. So I started, mm-hmm. you know, traveling the world, studying and working while exploring the industry. And then it wasn't only, and I was so lucky I could um, live in China, I could live in oh, the US. Amazing. I went, to New Zealand, I ended up in France, in Bordeaux. So I got this, you know, very, very broad idea of what the industry of wine is, mm-hmm. its different declinations in different roles and different, you know, uh, part of the chain. And so what I did, like, it wasn't sure that I would have gone back home, but and then in 2018, uh, there was an opportunity for me to join my dad and my uncles and, and auntie. And so I went back and I started mm-hmm. working for the family. And uh, and that's it. And now a few years have passed and uh, it's it brings us so much joy and, oh, and pride to be able to contribute to our family estate. So now I'm, I'm basically representing the family and, you know, being the keeper of the values of the brand oh, uh, that has been always, you know, it's always been represented by my granddad, but my granddad unfortunately passed away a few mm-hmm. years ago. It was 102. So now it's really, uh, yeah. That's, yes, fun. that's so, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's all that wine. So quite clearly, you know, the exactly. wine he's producing. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Yeah. There you go. Health tip. Definitely exactly. drink Livio Feluga if you want to live past 100. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so tell me, I can say this, uh, you will agree, but I can easily say that Livio Faluga is one of the best white wine estates in Italy. It is, full stop. No argument. <laughs> That's um, very kind. That's it not is. For us to judge. It will I knew, to judge. I knew you would be very humble, which is why I'm <laughs> saying it. Now, I want everyone to know that this is true. So, Tell me a little bit more about the incredible story of your granddad, um, Livio, and how he started this whole journey. Absolutely. So I'll start from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. The business that we know today, Livio Feluga, was on, was found by him after the Second World War mm-hmm. in 1956, when he created our uh, label, the geographical map label. That is it's beautiful. The winery yes. today, for, mm-hmm. for many decades, has been representing the wineries and, you know, representing our values but wine has been running in the family from six for six generations so he was born in another area of the northeast Mm -hmm. and our family was already cultivating the vine there so he learned viticulture from his grandfather when he was a child Mm -hmm. and uh, that was essentially in you know defining his identity and so uh, when part of the family moved his dad moved and started selling the wines that his granddad was producing in Grado. There's a tiny island in Friuli Venezia Giulia on the Adriatic okay. Sea. Ah. So he grew up with wine, 
uh, wine was part of his heritage and he knew how to cultivate the vine. Unfortunately, uh, you know, historical events hit um, <laughs> yeah. when he was a young man. He had to leave his family and was gone for about eight years because of the Second World War. I assume he had a couple of years of training that were organized by, 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 by Italy. And then he fought El Alamein in North Africa, was then captured by the Allies as a prisoner Oof. of war. No. He spent, I think, three years in Scotland, in the Highlands, speaking potatoes as a prisoner. And then in wow. his late, in his 30s, um, he managed eventually to go back to Friuli Venezia Giulia uh, and to pursue his dream of founding his own estate mm -hmm. in the hills of Friuli Venezia Giulia. That is where the company is based now, and it's an area, uh, this little stripe of hills that stretches between the, you know, the Alps and the, the Adriatic Sea, mm -hmm. and um, and that had a long history in viticulture, a millenary history in viticulture, since you know Julius Caesar came to Friuli to expand the Roman Empire. So um, it was the in Friuli, there was the Limes, and Julius Caesar came to fight and expand the empire. The, mm -hmm. the Romans brought the vine and civilization in uh, in my region. So in that specific stripe of hills, we have a long, long history uh, for viticulture. But after the Second World War, when my granddad came a few kilometers away from Grado and uh, to pursue his dream, viticulture was a little bit forgotten, let's say. You know, um, a lot of people that had been forced to work uh, as farmers in the land for, for, for generations uh, had a wish to leave the land and uh, start working in the, you know, there was an economical boom in Italy, uh, in the factories that were, were blooming around the town of, of Manzano Rosato. So the farmers started leaving the, the land because it wasn't considered uh, of value working in the land, be, being a farmer. Now I, I see mm -hmm. there's a wave of regiving a lot of dignity uh, to anything related to agriculture, the knowledge of working the land, uh, craftsmanship. And uh, But after the Second World War, there was a little bit of a shift away from that. And my, my grandfather with his vision and his dreams went a little bit against the current. So what he, <laughs> what he did was, you know, starting to he recognized the great potential of those vineyards, historical vineyards around the town of Rosato, because he knew about viticulture already. And um, he, without a dime in a dime, I say a dime, without a lira, without money in his pockets, because, you know, after the world, he had lost everything. Mm -hmm. um, he started asking for loans, which were refused because there was, it wasn't seen a true economic potential in value in his dream, right? Eventually, he made it and he started, you know, restoring some of the the most traditional and, uh, you know, plots around the, the village of Rosazzo and uh, to live his dream that was to bring our family back to viticulture, bring our family back to winemaking and build a, fam a future for himself and us um, in the hills of Rudy Venezia Giulia. So he was this very, very, you know, brave, um, intuitive, stubborn, uh, <laughs> charming, fiery, uh, eventually after the years became also a very wise grandpa. Uh, but when he was younger, I bet, I mean, the fiery side, um, I bet was a little bit stronger in his personality. And, um, <laughs> and he succeeded and he was, he's considered, you know, the the, grand, the father of, of uh, modern Friulian viticulture, let's say, because... Uh, 
uh, with other uh, very uh, smart and uh, you know intuitive uh, entrepreneurs of wine in mm -hmm. different regions that had kind of triggered this change a new vision in their own regions then they really were able to trigger what created the modern italian wine landscape the way we know it today somehow and so uh, in a moment where shifting uh, from a moment after the war where wine was simply a food was a source of calories was produced in bulk very easily oxidized uh, he decided to really bottle label the wines and speak about and produce wines of quality starting from viticulture and the vineyard that could speak of our territory and our, and our land and so he put the land on the bottle and he put a map on the bottle the map was actually his creation he drew it yeah, I don't know if he physically drew it this okay. I'm not quite sure but he, it was his idea and was mm -hmm. drawn by um, taking inspiration by a map that he had uh, yeah, bought yeah. Mm -hmm. at an antique shop in the town of Udine from, from a friend of his that sold him a map of the, the times where the French invaded Friuli Venezia Giulia and the hills um, leaving also plenty of incredible varietals that we've been growing for centuries in the in the hills and we'll talk about it this later but most of the international varietals that we grow uh, in that area are actually very traditional have been grown over the hills for centuries and had the time to adapt and to really you know change and to gain a specific characteristic to that specific territory and so mm -hmm. they they were considered them traditional yeah. but so this map was uh, was a map with all of the you know name of towns around the hills where we where we have the vineyards and there was one of those um, you know crests where yes. ancient maps would have all of the indications that would allow you to read the content of the map and mm -hmm. so his idea was to take to take a map put it on the label because he wanted to explain that these wine would speak about the territory mm. and use this crest to put the information about the wine in the 50 in the 50s, he really started with the single varietal wines like Pinot Grigio, Friulano, uh, Merlot, and um, he would put the name of the varietal in the crest. And then later on in the 80s, we really became famous for our uh, white blends, co uh, collectible blends. And, uh, and so he would put the name on the blend in the crest. Uh, mm. In the very first label, his name was at the bottom of the, of the map because his idea was not estate-centered in a way that, in, in his vision, the winemaker would be the facilitator. Yeah. So it's all about region and not about him. It's rather, again, exactly. very humble for the rebuilder of the Friuli wine tradition, right? <laughs> it's incredible. So it's this idea of really serving your land, serving your people, serving yeah. your territory, serving Beautiful. your family. That still really is represented by the label and... Uh, and it's what drives us in, you know, in the ch in the choices that we made and in the strategies that we make uh, at the winery. And this is one of the privileges of being a family-owned and run winery because really your goals are set to pursue your values. So, and then you earn to fuel again uh, to really to really empower your your strategies to to pursue those values in the end and it's something that we feel very privileged to 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 do 
I, I certainly would. I only wish I was born into a wine family. Maybe next time. <laughs> next life. Um, so tell me, you know, considering uh, Livio Feluga and specifically Livio himself was all about the terroir, can we talk a little bit more about Fiuli Venezia Giulia? Can we talk about this region? I know you mentioned the Alps. You've mentioned the sea. How does this all affect? I mean, we're in Italy, hilly terrain. Can you talk a little bit more about the area? Friuli as a region, uh, from an historical and geographical perspective, is, uh, you know, even more diverse and eclectic than the average Italian region, which is already very (laughs) rich and diverse, (laughs) because it's been a land of border since forever. So these borders have been shifting. We have been invaded by many, many times throughout the history. Each invasion, each change in history and culture brought, um, was integrated in our, in our identity that is very eclectic, some, sometimes difficult to convey. So on one hand, I want to speak about this. And, okay. and, and this also resulted in a very, very large ne- number of varietals being cultivated um, on the hills. Mm-hmm. And we try to keep on researching and, and going deeper in the knowledge about these varietals and, and the combination of them. And on the other hand, it's a very uh, eclectic also from a geographical perspective because it's a tiny, tiny region in the northeast of Italy. We border Austria to the north, Slovenia to the east, the Adriatic Sea to the south, and the Veneto region to the west. So mm-hmm. the easiest way to get us would be probably to fly to Venice. Okay. And then drive up to the northeast in our hour, hour and a half. Okay, that's not too far. Okay. Not too far, but we're the very last region, making us uh, so we're not a very stereotypical Italian region because we're in the north and we have these mm-hmm. very, we have heavy, heavy influences from the Serenissima Repubblica di Venezia. Part of Friuli was part of the Austro Hungarian Empire. Mm-hmm. We've been invaded by Napoleon. Um, <laughs> Slovenia, all the Slavic population and Slavic tradition are part, are right at our border. So we have plenty of minorities that are Slovenian speaking uh, population. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, the, the, even geographically nowadays, Rosazzo is a few kilometers away from the Slovenian border. So this, this is like a, it's like a tiny melting pot. Also, from a geographical perspective, it's tiny. So from north to south, you would drive few, maybe a couple of hours. I would, from, okay. the, from the winery, I see the Alps and I would reach Slovenia in an hour, an hour and a half tops. And then I'll, I'm about 40 kilometers away from the Adriatic Sea as the crow flies. So it's tiny, but you have, you go from the Alps to the sea. And the Alps are between our Alps and, and we get to the Dolomites and then you have, and it's about a third mountains, cover about a third of the region. And oh, then okay. you have these flat pebble stone, uh, flat lands that end up in a coastal line, a sandy coastal line that is basically connects Venice to Trieste, which is the capital of, of Friuli. Uh, so, and then these coastal lines become Karsik, become rocks, uh, Karsik rocks around the town of Trieste. In, all of this happens in a very small geographical area. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the area where we're based is this tiny, tiny stripe of hills that runs for a few kilometers between uh, the provinces of Udine and Gorizia. 
and our estate it's it's an estate that has we've been growing since my grandfather started you know restoring the, those vineyards around the Rosazzo mm-hmm. um, is now between you know vines and and forests it extends to around I would say 250 hectares Okay. And uh, it really stretches in on this tiny, tiny uh, stripe of hills that from DOC regulation perspective is split between the DOC Friuli Colli Orientali in the province of Udine, mm-hmm. around the town of Rosazzo that I was mentioning earlier, and the DOC Collio. Uh, that is in the province of Gorizia, falls under the province of the town of Gorizia, and it's closer to the town of Cormons. We're speaking about a 10, uh, 10 minutes drive, and this extends. And uh, so our property is not like, in, in, if you think of some of the, you know, French properties, you would imagine the chateau at the center and then the vineyards all around it. Mm-hmm. Whereas for us, it's more the house of my grandfather became our cellar. Around the town of of Cormons, but then uh-huh. he's, for the core of the vineyards is around the town of Rosazzo, and it's now uh, and through the years expanded throughout the entire stripe of of hills, which are have in common uh, the, the terroir on, uh, because this the basic soil that we have on both of the DOCs, Friuli Colli Orientali and Collio, is punca. Yes, ponca soil. What is ponca soil? Yes. Ponca is actually the traditional name in Friuli Venezia Giulia, the, the, the farmer's name, the mm-hmm. dialect name for a soil that in geology would be defined as flesh of Cormons, Cormons from the town of Cormons that I was mentioning earlier. Okay. And it's nothing but a stratification of marn and sandstone. Marlin sandstone, okay. Yes, correct. And so it's a stratification of these two that became, that solidified throughout the centuries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this happens over thousands of years. And a thousand of years ago, also our hills were actually covered by the Adriatic Sea. Yes, yeah, 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 okay. And so, and, and there's definitely a relation between the fact that the hills were traditionally always considered in the history the epicenter of viticulture in Friuli Venezia Giulia because this ponca allows for um, a less fertile soil, yeah, which we mm-hmm. all know is very, very useful when it comes to viticulture. But also, this translates into the wine in a very peculiar minerality trait that I would consider to be kind of the fil rouge, the thread that you can recognize in all of the wines if you happen to taste them blind. Mm -hmm. And that is that very savory, almost salty minerality that is really connecting, uh, speaking about our terroir. If if you would ask me, Laura, tell me one thing that would make our wines recognizable, that would be it. Um, that would be also the very, very intense aromatic profile, very complex mm-hmm. and intense aromatic profile for sure. Uh, so in general terms, ponca is all over the hills, but then ponca itself is a versatile matter because uh, not in every spot ponca was stratified and solidified in the same proportion, I would say. Mm-hmm. So this is probably one of the things that 
contributes to the eclecticity of the territory. Yeah. Sometimes we simplify saying our soil is ponca, but ponca means so many things. <laughs> it's a great name. <laughs> yeah. One thing I want to, I'd like to say something, compliment my grandfather. <laughs> Another way in which he was uh, very he uh, forward thinking, yeah, he started speaking about territory and the importance of terroir and the importance of producing quality wine in the vineyard that now became a standard for anybody that is producing quality wine mm -hmm. uh, in a moment where DLCs weren't even on the table yet. Yeah, of course. So he created the, the map label and started speaking about terroir before DOCs were even created in Italy. So this is something that I really always made me very proud and, uh, yeah. and made me realize how brave and forward-thinking it was. And so this, we now we have this, historically we have been having these two DOCs. Going back to Rosazzo and the particular uh, and the specialty of Rosazzo, this specific mm -hmm. village, there is the home of Abbey of Rosazzo, representing a thousand years of viticulture in the region. Mm -hmm. Finally, in 2011, became a DOCG for white wines. It's a very, mm -hmm. very tiny DOCG. And it tries to represent this, the peculiarities of the territory of Rosazzo as it, at its best. And these wines also were uh, produced in order to um, show how great white blends have nothing to um, nothing less than the great reds of the world when it comes to uh, complexity and aging capabilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we'll speak about it a little, a little bit later. But going back to Rosazzo, there's this beautiful abbey uh, that you can visit. There's Belvedere where you can really appreciate the territory and the landscape of Rosazzo. So you go on the Belvedere um, and uh, you turn back and on middays you really are framed by the Alps. Sometimes mm. when the, the vines start crying, you know, we say the pianto della vita in italiano. <laughs> they start so, crying. <laughs> I don't know how we say this in English, you know how when the, the it's the moment where spring officially starts, when okay. the lympha goes back, goes, uh, goes, flows back in the plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can really see those little drops coming out of the, of the areas that were pruned, right? Ah, yes, okay. The sap, yes. So the sap, all the energy and the sap kind of comes yes. out where it's starting to wake up. Okay, when the vine is crying. I've never heard that, okay. Exactly, we say il pianto della vigna. And so that's the official moment where the, the cycle starts, mm. and the spring starts for us. Of course. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, uh, and then sometimes you have the hills which are very, you know, um, gently sloped. We're only about 200 meters above sea level. And, you know, spring starts blooming and you, we have a lot of, you know, cherry trees and, um, oh, and a lot of uh, fruit uh, trees. A lot of, you know, it becomes very, very green and, and you know, flourish. We say flourish? Uh, no. Um, yeah, if everything is flourishing. Yeah, everything yeah. flourishing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you, also, you, you still see the snow on the Alps. It's very dramatic. I wish I, I, I hope I, I will send you some pictures later on. And then on neat days from the same Belvedere, you can actually see the sea sparkling around the town of Grado, the island of Grado uh, that I was uh, mentioning. And this is the place where right, I'm coming. was brought up. I'm coming. Yeah. Mm. So this, mm. you know, the ponca, the very gently sloped hills that are terraced traditionally to keep the vines in place. They're quite steep in some 
Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. and this is also one of the reasons that had made our viticulture very much related to craftsmanship. And so mm-hmm. most of the work that we do in the vineyard and harvest happens by by hand. And so you have the, you know, I'm trying to give you like a, an image of it. So you have framed by the, the, the mountains, you're on these gently stroke mm-hmm. hills that you can oversee from this beautiful Belvedere with all of these statues. I call them my war, warrior statues, but are these beautiful statues <laughs> that were uh, brought to the Abbey from a villa uh, that used to be the home of the Dodge of Venice. Uh, one of the latest okay. events and they're now uh, at home uh, in the Abbey of Rosazzo surrounded by mm-hmm. olive trees by this beautiful mm. rose garden that you know Rosazzo Abbey of Rosazzo is the Abbey of the Roses because uh, on the cleats ah, of the okay. Abbey historically were grown uh, this rose garden that is now um, collecting very different species of roses and mm-hmm. it's really representative of the abbey and it's probably one of the reasons why um, around the crest my grandfather on the label decided to draw some flowers I don't know if you notice on the map now yes and of course so of course, this also yeah. it's mean to speak about the territory so everything goes back to to its land honestly everything every little detail and that's it so a lot of cypress hills uh, there's a huge a very beautiful biodiversity that we try to cultivate and protect uh, when i was a kid and we used to take walks in the in, in the property after you know on, especially on Sundays we would have these family reunions when we where we ate a lot and then we would go for a walk and my uncle mm-hmm. would always make fun of me um, saying <laughs> there were um, wild pigs for, uh, coming coming up uh, and it's true there's plenty <laughs> of, of like flora but also fauna so there's a lot of um, wild rabbits and you know the baby deers uh, wild pigs uh-huh. that would definitely sometimes yeah. be of harm for our vineyards <laughs> um, tack I don't know how you say about tassel these these animals that would live underneath the earth they don't see very well a lot of moles <laughs> Me, them but so it's very <laughs> alive animals. and we try to, to you know make make it our mission to protect that too because um, everything is uh, starting and ending uh, starting at the estate and uh, and we try to provide the service both to the territory and to the one lover than actually that would actually uh, be interested in exploring the territory so for the ones that, that would like to to come and visit us uh, please know um this land is very eclectic very middle european uh, mm. it's very charming but it's nothing like the more stereotypical um uh, the more what became stereotypical because it was more known of Italy that is mainly related to the southern and beautiful south yeah. mm-hmm. south of Italy. This is a little different, still very charming and worth exploring. Also because we're um, very central with respect of Europe, but kind of remote with respect of the rest of Italy. So. Yeah, um, okay it stayed very much untouched and it's one of the most um I love that. yeah most interesting things it's it's really worth exploring now you say most interesting thing i have my nose stuck in a glass <laughs> of the terra alte and i can tell you that is the most interesting thing of this region so i happen to have thank you very much for sending this a 2019 and can you tell everyone listening about this wine? I mean, this is 
definitely considered probably one of the most prestigious white wines of Italy. This is an amazing white blend. This is your flagship, your icon. I'm going to have a little sniff and a little taste. Can you just tell everyone a little bit about this wine? Absolutely. So um, this wine really is, the, I mean, a wine that is maybe one of the wine, the wine that is most associated to our family name. Mm. Um, it was first created in 1981, and I give you a little bit of a family anecdote around it. Mm -hmm. When it was first created was thanks to um, the idea of my uncle Maurizio, who is the oldest of the children of my, uh, of my grandfather Livio. So imagine my grandfather okay. starting his dream from scratch, having struggled through going against the current, having managed to put together the beginning of our estate, having managed to uh, you know, establish his vision, having seen finally the system following his lead, creating the DOCs, protecting mm -hmm. his territory, and then his younger son comes in. He starts working very, uh, very when he was very young, he starts you know, expanding our market that was originally basically the town of Udine and the small towns around Friuli to, mm -hmm. you know, Venezia, Milano, Roma. We're now, you know, present in over 80 countries. But in the in the 70s, my, my really, my uncle started selling the wines in the rest of Italy. Okay. And that was already revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And he came back saying, uh, Dad, I think we should upgrade our offer. Uh, also and include a, a great white blend that could show how our territory, our estate could provide wines of great complexity, uh, a synergy ah, of the varietals that are present in the estate. Yeah, because I think really was single varietals before exactly. that, that point you said, wasn't it? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, make a smaller selection of some of the oldest vineyards around the town of Rosazzo, different passages, let's, uh, you know, vinify it in a way to make it a wine that could age and show a different side to our, to our estate. Mm -hmm. and, and so they started thinking about it, but then, you know, blends were not allowed in the DOCs. Ah, okay. So my grandfather said, there's no way after all of my, all of my efforts that we will produce a wine with my map label that is not included in the DOCs. <laughs> okay. Regardless of the quality and your vision. And so do whatever you want, but you won't have my label. So the first vintage wow, of the Real okay. was actually 1981. And it was a vintage where it came out without the map label on the map. It was a plain label stating the Real in the age of the wine. No, and because okay. my grandfather said, I'm not going to do this. Just do your yeah. thing, but leave yeah, me alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. In, mm. So it had such a success that eventually the vintage afterwards my grandfather surrendered to um, including it in the map label collection and uh, it became a like our Yay. iconic wine ever since so there's a bit of a family struggle behind the story of the wine <laughs> but that is <laughs> well, to I say that it. you know you know uh you always need to you know follow your your instinct my grandfather did my uncle Absolutely. did and this is really what made the story of our family in wine always fighting at home and then pursuing our vision and then you know striving for trying to strive for success but it was honestly everything starts from intuition and uh, and we tried to follow that and this happened for Terre Alta and it was a great success so as I was saying it's a synergy so mm -hmm. there's 
three varietals present in the blend. The majority of the blend is Friulano. It's a grape, mm -hmm. one of the most traditional grapes that are grown in the region. It was traditionally called Tokai, and I will tell maybe later on when we taste the single varietal Friulano why it had to change its name. Mm -hmm. And um, when the DOCG Rosazzo was created, it was kind of tailored on Terre Alte. So the majority of the wines of Rosazzo and the majority of Terre Alte is Friulano. On the top of that, we have a combination, mm -hmm. fairly even combination of Sauvignon and Pinot Bianco. So a base of Friulano and then a combination of Sauvignon and Pinot Bianco. Sauvignon, as I was saying, Sauvignon has been part of our tradition for a very long time. So uh, its identity is very much um, linked to the, the qualities, of, qualities of the hills. And it's, the Sauvignon from that specific spot of land is quite recognizable versus other beautiful but very different Sauvignons that we have all over the world. I'm thinking New Zealand, I'm thinking France, which mm -hmm. are two places where I live. And so I would like physically be able to experience the wide range that these varietals can can assume while growing in different spots of land. All of these varietals are picked, of course, in different moments. So each vineyard, we're over the hills. So not only the Ponca has different kind of composition in different areas, but there's also uh, different exposures, uh, different age of the vines. Some of our oldest vineyards of Frulano were acquired by my granddad, and we think they mm -hmm. could go back to before the, the Second World War. So they're very old mm -hmm. vineyards. And in older vineyards, we can find not only age, which always helps with complexity for sure, but also a huge diversity in the identity of the same varietal. So this brings also Absolutely. a great complexity. And uh, we sometimes different exposures, different microclimates that are very characteristic of the area of Rosazzo. And so most of the times these Terre Alte um, vineyards that are surrounding the Abbey are sometimes also harvested in different moments because it happens that we and harvest an area of, of the vineyard that is exposed one way and then the other. Of course, each varietal is also harvested at different times because varietals get mm -hmm. mature at different moments throughout the harvest period. And what we do is these very small selections are then vinified separately in these small oak casks. Um, that could, some of them are barriques, some of them are little botti, and that are generally neutral oak because the idea is really to allow them to be in contact with the leaves and you know stabilize and you do as much as we can also not only uh, through malolactic aging but also and over the vinification process the first vinification process process and then mm -hmm. only at the very end we make the final selection of which of these batches would be included in the final plan so it's a process that is very much Leaded, led by my father, who's the director of, you know, the, the manager of the winery, yes, and is in charge of production. So going back to Terre Alte, and but this is true for all of the estate. Everything is about micromanagement um, of of the plots, of the vinification, both in the vineyard and in the in the cellar, right? And making a, a yeah. final selection that will allow us to sustain and maintain the standard that we promise to our clients. And this is absolutely divine. <laughs> the aromatics are just jumping out of the glass. There's such intense, ripe, like tropical yeah. fruits. 
So I get like all this mango. But then, and everyone's going to love this, it's like creme brulee, you know, on the nose. There's some vanilla beans and there's some honey in there, but that doesn't take over the fruit. And it's almost... Do you know, it's almost a little bit hedonistic. There's so much flowers in there. So along with it, there's jasmine and like some lilies and even basil. So there's this, the complexity of this wine, even on the nose, is so high. Um, the palate, what I love about it, there's very definable, uh, fleshy, peachy stone fruits. There's a very it's quite a, it's a rich style. There's a glycerol feel. So a lovely creamy mouth coating, but at the same time, there's elegance and lightness. And it kind of finishes with this lovely sweet almond finish, but then it's a bit spicy and a little flinty too. So it's like how, what kind of tasting note is that? It's it's so long. This 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 is beautiful, and this is why it's your flagship. So for anybody who wants something very very special, and and very different, and taking you know people talk about burgundies all day long. This is something that you may not have ever even thought about, and the the power, but the elegance and the finesse in this is is stunning. Um, just quickly for everybody, I have managed to find this for you for £79 a bottle at Petersham Cellar. So this is not a Monday night wine, but this is definitely something when it is your birthday and your anniversary that you want to get your hands on. It is very special indeed. Mm, it's beautiful. Well done. Thank you so much for mm. these beautiful words. I would also recommend for the collectors or, you know, uh, maybe those wine lovers that are uh, into aging wines, these wines, really, yes. I invite you, if it's your birth, if it's going to be your birthday one, just, you know, save one bottle for uh, each birthday and see how these wines change uh, over the years. Mm. Um, they have a capability of aging for uh, 20 plus years. Oh my gosh, really? Yes. Okay. So I'm born in 87. For anyone who could do their maths, that's 35 years. Do you think <laughs> if I got hold of my birth year, would that still be holding on or could that, maybe is that a bit too much? I don't know. I think that would be too much, but we will that never might be, be able too to, much. <laughs> we would never be able to know because, because I'm quite sure that we, that everything that was produced that year was drunk it's gone it's gone <laughs> it's only been a few yeah there was only a few years into production yes. wasn't it oh dear so, me. well I, it, for us never I, would say, okay. I would say a window between five and 20 ten years. years but could go on to 20 the, the oldest i've tasted was 97 last year okay and uh, all right and fine. we have this bad habit of drinking most of them so this is there's very few around yeah, yeah. but i invite you to, to <laughs> like to uh take on this project yourself and maybe if you have if you're patient enough and you have a little cellar if you wish these are ones that could easily be collectible both terre alte abbazia di rosazzo so that is the second one we produce in uh, in rosazzo it's a very similar process of vinification and, mm-hmm. and it's a selection of the four plots that surround the abbey the blend is basically the same the the winemaking is basically the same yet these two wines are drastically different in the aromatic profile and this is a testimony of the eclecticity of the terroir of rosazzo the same frulano a frulano that is growing mm-hmm. from uh, two plots facing each other could provide two complete different expressions of the same varietal and this is why we do what we do basically so 
I'm glad I'm glad you could uh, we could do this together. Well, I'm, we we decided that that wine was going to be for me privately, but I did just take a sip of it because I have it. Sorry, everyone. Shh. And I have to say, it's much more citrusy um, and very fresh and and more herbaceous this second wine. But anyway, everyone, go to my Instagram at some point. I'll be talking about this delicious wine. So I leave you in suspense on that one. So that's it for part one. Next week, Laura will be taking us further into the wine region of Friul, Livenezia, Giulia. We'll be looking at the grape variety Friulano in more detail, alongside the grapes Rebolla Gialla, Piccolit and Rifosco. And of course, you can't have an Italian podcast without talking about some delicious food pairings. Now to finish off today's episode, I bring you an Italian proverb of which there are many, which makes my life rather easy. And this one's origin is specifically from Friuli Venezia Giulia. Now, hopefully I've got my Italian pronunciation correct on this one. <clears throat> it is. Agne bicchiari di vino non si contano mai, which means age and glasses of wine should never be counted, which is an invitation to fully enjoy life. And on that note, I hope you've enjoyed part one. I look forward to you tuning back in next week for part two. Please don't forget to vote on the People's Choice Awards if you can. And the link is in my show notes at the top. Like, share, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you're feeling super generous. And until next week, cheers to you. <laughs>